Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. I hope you're doing all right, especially if you are a woman or birthing human. What the fuck? My heart goes out to you. We're in a really weird time in this country if you're in America like I am. Woohoo! I will continue to leave the link for Planned Parenthood in the show notes to all of my episodes not just this episode. So if you'd like to donate, that's always a great place to start. I mean, I'm still processing it myself, but be with people who really care about you, who you really care about, who make you feel safe, laugh as often as possible. In times like this, I always like to say being joyful and being humorous, like full-on belly laughing is absolutely radical activism. At this point, we're just being inundated, like slapped over and over and over again with really shitty news, just one thing after the next. When we stay in a super low vibration like that, we feel hopeless and we don't feel like we have any power. And that's exactly where some of the powers that be wish for us to stay. That's where they want us to hang out because there we are easily manipulated. We like to buy lots of things when we're depressed because it fills up that sad, sad void that they have helped us cultivate, really. And it's super complex. And I know that perhaps not all my listeners even agree with me. (laughs) And I don't give a shit. You probably should stop listening now if you think that it's okay for a little 10-year-old girl to get raped and have to be forced to give birth to that baby, then I'm sorry. We're just going to have to disagree and maybe you have to go find another podcast. Toodles. But back to the humor thing, get off of the internet sometimes. You have to actively unplug. You have got to go in inward. That's where the power is. And that's where the power of femininity is the receptivity that every spiritual teacher, guru, and leader has acknowledged. In this episode, my guests and I even talk about this, the fact that like masculinity is important and it is a certain kind of physical power, but it's not spiritual power. Femininity is spiritual power. And we've been doing the physical thing for a long ass time, prioritizing the physical prioritizing materialism, prioritizing the external competition, force, hierarchy, control. Those are all very masculine traits. And of course, I'm focusing on some of the more shadow sides of the masculine traits. I'm not saying that masculinity is intrinsically bad. What I'm saying is that the patriarchy has done a tremendous amount of damage over a long period of time. It's more visible now with social media and the way that we're all connected. Patriarchy is just unhinged. It's time for femininity. I'm going to read you a passage from the Tao Te Ching. This is the pocket edition that I like to keep at my altar, and it's the Stephen Mitchell translation. And this is on page 28. Know the male, yet keep to the female. Receive the world in your arms. If you receive the world, the Tao will never leave you, and you will be like a little child. Know the white, yet keep to the black. Be a pattern for the world. If you are a pattern for the world, the Tao will be strong inside you, and there will be nothing you can't do. Know the personal, yet keep to the impersonal. Accept the world as it is. If you accept the world, the Tao will be luminous inside you, and you will return to your primal self. The world is formed from the void, like utensils from a block of wood. The master knows the utensils, yet keeps to the block. Thus, she can use all things. Boom! Mic drop, Lao Tzu. 
I come back to this page all the time. It reminds me that everything is impermanent and also that it doesn't say know the female yet keep to the male. It says know the male yet keep to the female. The Tao Te Ching is about yielding, essentially. It's about teaching you that if you want to be a great master, if you want to be a great leader, you have to yield. You have to surrender. You cannot control people. You can't force people to hear your message. And you also can't be attached to outcomes. To become that, you have to almost give up the need or the desire to want to be a great master and learn to be happy and joyful instead. Learn to cultivate your inner wisdom instead, and then you will naturally become a leader. And you will lead by example, not by killing people, not by taking over other people's land, which is all very masculine, but by basking in your innate femininity, which we can have whether we're male presenting or female presenting or non-binary. We all have femininity in us. And so the earth and the universe is calling forth that female energy. That's what's happening now. We're being called forth because in a time of change, there is a critical mass that happens. And when that shift comes into the realm of probabilities or potentialities, everything sort of happens at once. And because we live on a polarity planet, that means that there's a bunch of shitty stuff and there's a bunch of good stuff simultaneously happening all at once. So it's our responsibility to go inward into ourselves, remember the femininity, remember that people want love. That's what we all want, whether we're being fucking ass bags or not, whether we're Mitch McConnell or not, we all want love. They want us to mimic the toxic masculinity that has caused this problem in the first place. And I'm not saying you can't be pissed. I'm fucking pissed. But we have to get through the pissed part and we have to band together with our female, feminine presenting, birthing, bodied, uterus holding people and laugh and dance and sing and be the fucking witches that we are. Because that power, that power to like literally conjure joy in the face of tragedy and despair is what scares the patriarchy in the first place. We are incredibly resilient. There's that sacredness of the power of females enjoying themselves just because they want to. That is terrifying to the patriarchy. Go protest. Go donate. Do what you can to get involved. Shit, run for office. They want us to be in a position where we're like hopeless and disconnected from each other. So I say, fuck that. Garden. Laugh. Sing. Dance. Be with people you fucking love. Be joyful. Because that energy, that vibration is exceptionally powerful, especially in times like this when there's different shifts going on energetically. We can piggyback on that, almost like a butterfly effect. So that's what I'm going to say about that. Now, let's talk about my guest today. Her name is Taylor Van Endy. She's a spiritual counselor, intuitive guide, cycle of the cards reader, and folk herbalist. You might be thinking, what are cycles of the cards? And don't worry, we're going to get into that here. I also had no idea before we started this conversation. So she's going to break it all down for you in this episode. And in the next episode, we had to divide this up into two episodes. It was just way too long. So for over 15 years, Taylor has been developing her gifts while seeking to understand the great mysteries of life. Using intuition and energetics, she aims to create a bridge from the profound yet simple teachings of nature to the realities of living life in modern society. Taylor's offerings focus on reconnecting humans to the cycles, patterns, and language of the natural world. Seeing that reflected back in our own energetic blueprint, her intention is that we may be guided to a deeper understanding of our truth, authenticity, and purpose, and be empowered to create the life we truly desire. Taylor is the bomb, and we just fly right into this conversation about the weirdest shit. We're going to talk about how she took too much acid as a teenager, her time at plant medicine school, how we resist what we love, the difference between pain and suffering, creating your own reality, and, of course, the cycles of the cards. Let's get into the woo with Taylor Van Endy. Let's just get into your woo background. Well, growing up in Mammoth, like at 8,000 feet, like exposure to nature was something that was huge. And 
I think that just having direct access to nature in that way kind of opened me up to things. Whereas versus like a kid that grows up in the city might have had a different experience. So I spent a lot of time just outside kind of connecting with the natural world. When I became a teenager, I had a really intense psychedelic experience with LSD where I took probably too much and Mm -hmm. it was late at night too. So we like decided for whatever reason to take three hits of acid at 10 PM at night. I had never done it before. I didn't really know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And the girl I was with also had never done it before. And we kind of just like tripped out through the night. And I would say probably like two hours into it, I remember like, I just like leaned back and kind of sat back and I felt like time just stopped and then almost went in reverse. And we had like gone into this other dimension or space. And we kind of looked at each other and I remembered looking at her and she was like wearing her hair up in this ponytail and she had three eyes. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like what the fuck is going on? is this real? And she looked at me and started responding to the things that I was saying without talking. And I was like, okay, what the fuck is going on? Like, it just became this telepathic, like some crazy shits going on. It had all of these star beings up in the ceiling who were like people that I know in this life and also like ancestors and other beings kind of just sitting on these pedestals almost that were just bright flashing stars. And this went on for probably four hours of this girl and I having this really fucking weird, like trying to write it down. We're like, okay, I have to write down what's going on. Because you know, when you're having psychedelic experiences, you're like, I've figured out the meaning of life. I need to write this down and take notes or record it on my phone and then come back to it later. And so towards the end of the night, I kept having this like screen kind of come into my vision. And two of the screens were white static. And the other two screens were this like feminine being that kept saying these things over and over. And of course, the next morning, I couldn't remember anything. So I was like, Oh, my God, I'm so glad I wrote all of this down. And I went to my notebook. And the only thing that I had written down was a picture of a triangle with three dots on each point. And I thought, well, that's fucking doesn't help me at all to figure out what just happened. <laughs> but it was like, it was intense, you know, to ha- like, I'm, I didn't know what to expect. And here I am a teenager having this crazy psychedelic experience. So it really opened me up to this. There's so much more going on than we realize, and that we're given access to just in like general population and society. And as I started to kind of explore the self and just who I am and what this all is a little bit more, I came into the teachings of Ram Dass and I found him to be really fascinating because he was a professor at Harvard. Do you know the story of Ram Dass and his whole vibe that he has going on? Or I do, but you should share it because I don't know if the listeners do. Okay. So Ram Dass was a professor at Harvard with Timothy Leary. And the two of them were given kind of the first access to researching psychedelics. And so them and their whole crew went to this house in upstate New York for a whole summer and basically just took massive amounts of mushrooms and LSD. And I'm sure that it was just like a crazy experience. Yeah, just totally like bananas. I can't even imagine what happened. But what was interesting to me was he went out and was like, wow, I wonder if these states of consciousness could be achieved through meditation or just without the use of psychedelics versus Tim Leary went off and, you know, kind of passed LSD out to the whole country. And then of course, like the sixties came around and that whole thing happened. But what was really interesting to me was how Ram Dass was like, Hmm, how can I do this without using anything external to achieve these states of consciousness, to tap into these other realms and ultimately to come into contact with source, God and self. And so I just find that to be really fascinating because I think now that I'm older, you know, I look back on psychedelic experiences that I've had, and I'm so sensitive now, I think that we can tap into that stuff without needing the use of these really powerful and potent, you know, plants, psilocybin, LSD. I think that we have access to it all the time and they're a great kind of doorway into it, but to keep using it repeatedly for me just didn't feel like the path to be able to tap into those other dimensions, states of consciousness, realities, and realms that we have access to. And so 
that was kind of my introduction to how I got into everything. I got really into meditation, yoga, kind of studied Eastern philosophies, have read like probably every self-help book that there is. And then in 2014, I had a broken heart and I went out to Joshua Tree with a friend to go eat mushrooms to just like check in. And we were the only two people in the part of the campground in Joshua Tree, except for these other two women that were there. And they were kind of walking around all day and And my friend and I were on mushrooms and then probably like four in the afternoon, one of them kind of wandered into our camp and she had tattoos and just looked really chill and cool. But I was also super high on mushrooms. And she walks up, she's like, Hey, do you have any Arnica? Like I rolled my ankle and I was like, no, I don't. We kind of started chatting. And I was like, I think I need to tell this person that I'm really high on mushrooms. (laughs) So I was like, you know, like I'm really high on mushrooms. Like that's what we're doing. And she was like, Oh my God, so are we. And so her partner ended up coming over and like the four of us just tripped out for the whole rest of the day, ate more mushrooms. It was like this cosmic, very synchronistic connection that we had made together. And what was interesting was they told me about something called spirit weavers gathering, which happens up in, I think it's Oregon now. It used to be in Mendocino. And it's basically like hundreds of women that come and gather and you can take classes and do all these sorts of things. But they were like, you should go to this. And at the time I was living in LA, I was kind of like had reached, I felt like a plateau in terms of my spiritual practice and just life in general and was looking for kind of the next steps. And I went and I took this herbal class. It was like a wise woman tradition, like three hour herbal class. And it was really cool. And it was a meditation with plants. And I was also like, yeah, this is something I would never do. They had a a school in Vermont and a school in Southern California. And I was like, that was cool, but I would never do that. Maybe like two months later, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to quit my job and uproot my life and move to Vermont where I don't (laughs) know anyone and like study plants. And just like get back to nature and like see what that's all about. From that point, that was back in 2016, the end of 2015. And kind of from that point on is when like I've hit the woo pretty hard because I was given a lot of permission in herbal school to understand or honor that the downloads that I receive and my gifts are real. So on the first day of herbal school, I studied sacred plant medicine, plant spirit medicine and folk herbalism, which is, you know, basically working with weeds and just really simple plants and also talking to plants. And the first day of school, my teacher was kind of discussing how you do that. And someone said, well, how do you know if what you're experiencing is real? And she said, anything you can imagine is real. And that blew my fucking mind. And it gave me so much permission to understand that every experience that I was having was real and that it meant something in terms of what I was supposed to do in the world, my interactions with other people, and also what it was that I was really after, which is to uncover, you know, the great mysteries of what the fuck it is that we're doing here, basically. And that idea of anything you can imagine is real gave a lot of permission to be just open to all of it, all the woo. And so that's kind of uh, how I got started in everything and just like a little bit about my journey. I love that. Well, first, I have to just go all the way back to that psychedelic experience with your friend. Are y'all still friends? Okay, no, like she, I think we follow each other on Instagram, but like not really. We went two completely different directions. No, (laughs) I was, I'm always so curious about that because I do think that that level of like doing drugs, you know, or having those experiences generally bonds you with a person. But I do think that there is sometimes like an expiration date on that as well. Yeah, we just kind of move on. Well, I think also this particular experience, it was pretty heavy, like it was really intense, you know, and I think it freaked us both out, to be honest. I think this person went on to actually have a lot of mental health issues as a result of that experience because it was so bizarre, you know, and it it was like unexpected too. I think in retrospect, the person that gave us the acid should have been like, you've never done this before. Let's just give you one hit. And it was like my ex-boyfriend who was taking like 10 hits at a time and was like, here you go. And then just kind of left us to our own. Yeah, exactly. That can be really intense for people. You know, I remember as a kid always hearing the story and I don't think it's true, but like of the kid who was ice blocking and he had a bunch of acid in his pocket and he like fell into the water and the acid seeped into his leg and he like thought he was an orange and the world was trying to peel him and like it never went away, which is such like, I think it's not real, but like, I do think that there is a very fine line there between like being safe in your use of psychedelics and plants and also taking it a little too far where you become 
out of touch with quote unquote reality, whatever that means. Right. But like where you can't function as a a functioning member of society anymore. And so I think that kind of happened for her. And I I think she's balanced out since, but it was really intense. One of my previous episodes, it's called magic mushrooms with mom. I took way too many mushrooms with my mom. And for us, we took a dose that was probably like similar to what you took. When it gets to that level, it's like having a full on ayahuasca journey. And that needs a guide, a fucking shamanic guide, please. And that was the worst night of my life. One of the worst nights of my life. Like I fucking Mm -hmm. lost my mind. (laughs) But like you said, it opened a door. Also, I think it's interesting that you brought up Ram Das because that concept keeps coming up on episodes lately. This idea that you don't have to trip balls every time you want to go to those dimensions. You know, you can do breath work and absolutely feel something that's almost the same as an ayahuasca experience. Also, in certain cases, you should have a guide doing that kind of work as well. But I think a lot of people don't know that. Like they have no idea that you can experience different realms through your own breath. And it's a really important thing to kind of like keep top of mind because I think psychedelics scare a lot of people and and drugs in general, you know, because they're so unpredictable. Absolutely. And they're like very cool. Right. And especially in wellness communities now, we're like sitting with ayahuasca and San Pedro cactus and all these things is cool. And it's like, there's a delicate balance and like a dance that happens there where I think, when does it become too much almost? I don't know. For me personally, I just came to a place where I was like, I don't need this. Like I can tap into this without all of this other stuff. And also just the somatic experience that I had with psilocybin and with LSD and with these types of things is like so intense. In fact, I did mushrooms with my partner for the first time. He had never done them back in December. And we both were like, oh my God, like as the second we started tripping, I was like, fuck, I don't need this. And the mushrooms were like, hey, like these cool little beings that are like, hi, we're here for you. (laughs) And just like holding us in your hand or calling us in energetically, you're going to receive the same downloads. You don't need to ingest us and go through this whole process. And I do think if someone feels called to go through that process and they're like, I've never done mushrooms before. I want to try this. Like, you know, my partner, he was like, that's something I want to do. I think it's okay. And I think it's smart to be safe and understand that there is a very real energetic portal that's being opened. Mm -hmm. to allow other things in and, you know, it's profound downloads and all these sorts of things. But I would just like to give permission to anyone listening now who's like, I don't feel called or I'm kind of reached a peak or a plateau with a psychedelic experience. Like back to what my herbal school teacher said, anything you can imagine is real. So if you go outside and just get your feet in the earth and do breath work or, you know, sit for a few minutes in silence, you're going to get downloads Mm -hmm. as long as you're keeping those channels open. Obviously there's like kind of foundational things having to do with what you're open to, because if you're like clogging the feed with a bunch of other shit, that's a whole other aspect to it. But I do think we have access to all of that all the time. And we don't need to be taking copious amounts of anything to reach these kinds of states of enlightenment, if you want to call it that, you know, Mm -hmm. just like connecting to what else is going on and the great mysteries of life and these other realms and guides and angels and ancestors. Like we don't need a lot. Nature and these beings are readily available to us all the time. They want to be there to help us. We don't need to be going and sitting and like drinking ayahuasca for six months. And if you Mm -hmm. feel called to do that, I respect it. And I think it's fucking awesome. Yeah. I love that you're saying that. I think it's really important. I just interviewed somebody who took ayahuasca, I think 400 times and shrooms, I think 500 times. Obviously I'm not going to judge that experience. I mean, that, that he had a tremendous amount of trauma. And so that was how he kind of unraveled it. I think is that what I would recommend for the average human? Absolutely not. We are so dense vibrationally speaking that that kind of energy work is really, it's just too much. When I was in India working with a guru, he just meditated. There was nothing just meditating. And he would come out and like explain to us sometimes different beings that live in different realms. There's no drugs. Even in my longer meditation courses on the seventh and eighth day, you know, you things get weird. 
So it's all in there. And I, and that whole thing that your teacher said, like, if you can imagine it, it's real. We were just talking about that in my last interview, this idea that like, it doesn't matter. First of all, real, unreal, that's a bizarre place you can go to if you're not careful. But also like, whatever you think, whatever you can't think of is also real. And that's just a mind fuck when you really, for the first time, wrap your head around it. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Uh, what you just said real quickly about your guru makes me think again of Ram Das. He was telling his guru Maharaji about psychedelics and he was like, well, I want to try some. And so he gave him like, I forget what the exact number was, but I think it was like four or five hits of acid and nothing happened. He was like, no, this is totally normal. Like, what do you mean? Nothing happened. I just think there's a lot of like resistance and pushing that people think that they have to do to get to enlightenment, but it's always, this is so important. I have to remind myself all the time. It is a stripping away. It's not an adding on. Absolutely. The stripping away should be this like downstream, very like easy sort of process, you know, and it's just a remembering of who you already are, which is also a mind fuck. I realize, you know, it's a paradox. No, I think it's so true what you're saying, though. I, you know, one of the most profound experiences that I've actually had with a plant was with dandelion of all plants. And that's like, it's a weed. People pull it out of their garden. You see it all over. It's very common. And the message from dandelion was simple as powerful. And that's so important. We don't need a lot, you know, even just to function like in our bodies, like food, obviously, water, breathing, sleep, time in nature. I think that's key. And then you can add all the other like superfoods and all that shit on top of it. But like, (laughs) really, like, what are the fundamentals, the foundation that you're building off of? And so, yeah, dandelion is really interesting because it's a weed. People spend so much time pulling it out of their lawns and whatever. But from root all the way up to flower, the plant is a complete protein. So God forbid there was ever an apocalypse. It's a great food plant. You could eat it and still get you know, I mean, I don't know that it would totally fill you up based on the average American diet, but it's such a commonplace thing to see. And I think that we're like, oh, I need to have shilajit and I need to have moringa and I need to take ayahuasca and I need to take these like weird, I don't know, my brother tried these like weird brain pills. I don't know what they were, but they were like $250. And there's some pills that you take to like help your brain function. And I'm like, are you getting enough sleep at night? Because that could be really helpful. You know, are you sitting still for five to seven minutes a day? Like, I think that's the other thing about meditation too. I've recently been really into the holistic psychologist and I think she has really fantastic things to say. And she has this free workbook on her Instagram link tree, I think. And one of the things that it says in there is five to seven minutes of meditation a day is all you need. And I think meditation is a big word for people and they get freaked out by it because, you know, to like sit for hours, just kind of turns people away. But if you can just be quiet for like five minutes, that's huge. And it's simple and it doesn't take anything. I think that's a big thing for me too. Like accessibility is so important. And often I think that we get so caught up in being like, well, I need to wear this, you know, $350 Apollo Neuro brain (laughs) reprogramming bracelet (laughs) to like live my best life. And it's like, no, you just need to sit still for five minutes and look at your shit and work through it and drink Mm -hmm. water. And drink like, that's all it takes. Yeah. <laughs> drink yeah. Water, you know, so it's like, it's just really interesting. I think we like as humans, because we are so complex, we like to make everything so complicated. And at the end of the day, if you look out into nature and the universe, it's really quite simple. I mean, it's chaotic in its simplicity, but the fundamental or foundational teachings that exist there are really quite simple. And I think that's yeah. really profound to look at and then be like, hmm what can I do to kind of alter what it is that I'm doing and free up energetic space so that I don't feel so like frantic and just keep it simple. Lots of good points. I love that the dandelion taught you that simplicity is power. It reminds me of the St. Francis of Assisi quote. I think it's do few things, do them well, take your time, go slowly. And it's Mm -hmm. so good do few things. That was his whole life's mantra. Very simple. He's one of my favorite saints. And I think you're right, especially in the West. We've been taught 
we've been bred to be obsessed with consuming things, with finding things externally that make us feel better. $250 nootropic brain drugs, whatever. Yes. And really you bring up this great point, like just sit with yourself because there's this ebb and flow in cranial sacral therapy. I think they get it the best. It's almost a watery rhythm, the body's energy. And if you just sit and listen to that, there's so much wisdom there. I forget this all the time too. Like, I don't want to say that I have this figured out. There are days where I'm like, once I get through this fucking list and it's like, but if you just sat with yourself for five minutes, the list would be so much easier. Things would come to you automatically, organically. You would be in the flow with nature instead of against nature. We are so far away from that concept in like civilized quote unquote society. Absolutely. Being just constantly inundated with you need to look better and you need to feel better. And here's all these things that can make you do that. Right. And not to discredit any of these things that people take or do. I'm sure they're lovely, but you know, something in herbal school that came up a lot, like peers of mine were like, Oh, you're in herbal school and herbalism is very popular these days and whatever. They're like, Oh, I have this thing going on. What plant can I take to fix it? And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work like that. This is not about a band-aid, you know, like, sure, I can tell you a plant to take that will help the symptoms you're talking about, but there's so much going on underneath. And I think a big part of it too, is like people are stressed as fuck. They have to go out and work in jobs they don't like. You know, they're staying in relationships that don't fulfill them based out of fear and core wounding and programming. And like, I think it's just, there's a lot going on. Like you said, you know, you're like, I have this list I have to work through. And the truth is like, there are energetic times where like, it's time for you to sit down and power through your list. If you feel like that's lighting you up and you have the energy to do it. But I think it's when we start to force ourselves square peg in a round hole kind of a thing to be like, okay, I have to do all of this today because if it doesn't get done, then I'm fucked. And it's like, no, really, you just need to honor what feels natural to you. You know, there's privilege to that for me too, because it's like, I work for myself. I don't have to go and like be anywhere. And so if you're someone that has like a nine to five sort of job and you have to get these certain things done, like it's a, it's a delicate balance. So it's almost like if you are in a position where you're being forced to do things that maybe are like a hustle culture or make you feel overwhelmed, like to balance that out with like what nourishes and feeds your soul. Because if you have to do the shit you don't like, you have to like counteract that with doing something at least once a day that lights you up. And it could be anything. And back to dandelion, it could be very simple. It could be like, I'm going to take a bath or I'm going to eat a piece of chocolate, or I'm going to sit on the couch all day on Sunday and veg out on my favorite, you know, documentary or movie or whatever it is. And so just to find like a balance there for people, but you know, there is no right way for everyone and there is no quick fix for anything. And so I think just to come back to this idea of simplicity and to honor and also uncover like our intuitive gifts so that you can listen to yourself and know what you need. And that's hard. It is hard. Well, it's funny because it's like not hard, but it is hard at the same time. It's actually the most intuitive thing about us is this ability to be quiet and listen to the rhythms of our inner being. But we forgot. I'll say sometimes in the morning, I'm like, I'm going to meditate today. I'm going to carve out some time. And then the end of the day will come and it'll be like, I did everything but meditating. Sometimes we resist the thing that our heart is calling for the most. And I still haven't completely figured out why humans do that. Do you have a thought? I don't know. It makes me think of, have you read the book Atomic Habits? Mm -mm. Okay. I can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head, but it's really interesting because he talks about how our brain works and how we build habits. And he talks about this idea of habit stacking. And so it's like, if you wake up in the morning and you go pee and you look at your phone, you stack in like a new habit kind of in between that before you go and eat your breakfast or drink your coffee. And so it would be like, I wake up, I go pee, I look at my phone, then I meditate and then I go have my coffee. And there's something that happens, I think chemically, and I could be kind of totally botching this, but in the brain where when you start to add it in that way, it becomes easier to incorporate these things that we know are good for us and that we want to do, but that aren't habits. You know, we just haven't learned how to put them into our daily life in a way that feels like this is just a part of who I am versus this is something I have to do. Mm -hmm. And I think too, if it feels like a chore to anyone, then it's like, maybe look at and kind of unpack why it feels like a chore in the first place. And maybe it's just not the right way for you. 
Maybe you don't have to sit down and meditate. Maybe it could be you walk outside and take three deep breaths and take in the fresh air or look at the birds outside or, you know, anything people watch. I mean, meditation is such like a broad thing. It doesn't have to be sit in silence in this perfect position for an hour and a half to get still. But anyway, that book's really great. And he talks about how we form habits. And if you can make a 1% change every single day for a year, by the end of the year, it's like, 365% better or something like that. And I think that kind of speaks to how do we do the things that we know are good for us Mm -hmm. without making them feel like we have to do them. And it really comes down to like, why are you doing it in the first place? Is it something that you feel genuinely lit up to do or called to do? Or is it something that society and like wellness culture is telling you you have to do? Because there's many different ways to get still. And to take care of yourself. It doesn't have to be these ways that people say. It's just whatever it is for you. Dancing is great. You know, for me, swimming is a huge one. I mean, it really could just be anything. So it's like asking yourself, what are the things that light me up? What are the things that ground me? What are the things that make me feel good and nourished? Making a list and then going to those when you feel like you need them. Or if it is something like meditation or tapping or little morning rituals, at the end of the day, you're making a choice. So if you want to sit down and meditate first thing in the morning, you choose that you're going to do it. And if you don't, that's fine. But the next day you wake up and say, I'm choosing this today. I'm going to make it the first thing that I do. And you bring up a good point too, about productivity, not defining your worth, enjoying something just for the sake of enjoying something is really, really foreign to us, especially women. We are not given a lot of permission to do that. My wife and I will always try to remind each other. Here's an example. Our neighbors upstairs are great musicians. And I was like, I'm going to take guitar lessons. You know, I think it would be like a really neat thing. I can work it in this way. And she was like, do you want to do it? Does it bring you joy to think about? Like, I don't need to know your whole explanation of how you're going to fit it into the schedule. She's like, babe, if it's joyful, then fucking do it. And the fact that we have to remind ourselves of that so often is just mind boggling to me. It's a daily reminding, like, does this bring you joy? And obviously you also brought up a great point about privilege too. You can't always do a joyful thing if you aren't in the position to be able to choose that. But I think if you are, it's a really important practice to cultivate for sure. Absolutely. 100%. Everybody needs more joy. It's kind of funny how my younger self was like back to that, like pushing and trying all these difficult things and traveling to India and doing this really difficult Nepalese meditation and taking drugs and like all of that. It's like, well, but where was the joy in any of that? Was that fun? No, it really, really was not fun. Well, then what was the intention? The intention was, if I'm really honest, trying to perfect myself, you know, trying to get to that, like enlightenment, that perfection. And I think when I got older, I was, oh, wait, the essence of who I am is already perfect. There's no two going to there. (laughs) Yes. I love that. And I think that's so, so spot on and so important, especially in a culture and just, you know, programming from childhood where we're taught we have to be perfect. And especially Mm -hmm. as women Mm -hmm. and Something else that you said that I just want to touch on that I think is interesting. Like I'm very much of the belief that we create our own reality. And if I'm doing that, I don't have to subscribe to this idea of life is suffering. Yes, hard things happen. And I think it's important to honor and acknowledge that, but it doesn't have to be hard all the time. It can be easy. And this is something that when I was like, I guess you could say manifesting my relationship and my partner and calling him in. It was like, I just want it to be easy. I don't want to play games. I don't want there to be like this struggle. When he comes into my life, it's just going to flow and feel really natural. And I think that speaks to everything in life. If I'm the captain of my ship and I want to have an easy experience, then that's what I came here to do. And I think often in some of these Eastern philosophies and just in general, people are very like, well, life is just hard. And that's just the way it is. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be that way. You're choosing that. You're making that your belief and then going from there. Yeah, you're right. And and I actually have been mulling this concept over in my mind for a really long time because I think it's a huge misconception and misinterpretation of Buddhist texts. Mm-hmm. I think it's life is painful. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. 
Absolutely. And that concept, I don't think was translated appropriately. Like, I mean, it is in some places, in certain lineages, they explain it that way, but not all of them. And a lot of them, it's like, no, life is full of suffering. And sometimes the whole goal is to like get through these lives because this is your punishment. And then you'll get back to God. That just never ring true for me. I don't feel like this is a punishment. Yeah. Sometimes it fucking feels like it is, (laughs) but that's mostly because I haven't back to what you said, cultivated a relationship with my inner being. And I'm fighting against things that are actually good for me. I'm not aware that I'm doing it. I'm turning the pain into the suffering on a daily basis. We all do. I mean, it's really hard not to. I just don't think we got it quite exactly right. There's so many things that I could say about what we're talking about. I'm like, where do I even begin? I'm again, back to being very privileged. Like I'm at a place where I've done a lot of processing of my shit. And now when things come up for me, I can recognize like I'm creating this and take accountability for it. But when you're in it and you don't realize that you have these subconscious patterns that are looping and you haven't looked at it at all, it can feel really intense and really painful and kind of like victim mentality, right? Like Mm -hmm. why is the universe shitting on me? Now this gets complicated because there are people that are born into really fucked up situations and have really fucked up life experiences. And when it comes down to just our humanness in terms of evolution and that kind of stuff, you know, when you're living in fight or flight or freeze, that's not a time to create and be like, Oh, I'm God. And I'm choosing this <laughs> yeah. like cortisol's running through your fucking veins. And you're like, how am I going to pay my bills? Exactly. You know? And so it's like, that's one aspect of it. I wanted to loop back real quick to that thing you said about inviting in your partner and how you wanted it to be organic and just sort of felt very easy when they came in. And you're right. When you're in that victim place or you're in fight, flight, or freeze and cortisol is running through your veins, it's really difficult to be like, I'm manifesting. But when you do have that privilege and it, it's almost like surprising when it does happen. For instance, I've been working on this project that's a, a television show that's connected to this podcast and we lost our cinematographer. So I started working this spell about drawing in these kind of qualities in a cinematographer. And they were super specific. It was like a week later, I happened to be officiating this wedding and I met somebody who had every single quality and now they're the cinematographer. It blows your mind when it happens. I know there are people listening who are like, magic is not real. It 100% is. You just have to play the game. It's how much you believe in it. Like your partner, I assume, finally came and it was organic and it was easy. Did that surprise you? Were you? Because it still surprises me when it happens. I'm like, dang, I did that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, like on a small scale, like we had been wanting a stability ball or he had been wanting a stability ball and like, we helped my mom clean out her storage and there was this brand new stability ball. Right. And he was like, okay. And he like put it on his list and journal about it maybe a little bit. Like it's such a small thing, but then bigger things like your cinematographer or a relationship. My relationship with him is interesting because we actually met a long time before we connected romantically. And so in that aspect, it was very surprising to be like, Oh, you've been here all along. And I think that's something too. Like how often are we searching for things and trying to quote unquote manifest things that are actually like already there and Mm. we just aren't available to see them until we are. Totally. Yeah, it is. It just sort of, you want something and then depending on how much resistance we have to not having it, right? Because there are probably things that you're like, I really want this thing to happen, but I have a lot of resistance to it coming through right? and then it doesn't happen or it kind of shows up in this like weird way versus like I do this game with the universe that I got from Gabby Bernstein where I'm like, okay, I want to just know that we're like working together, that we're co-creating. And I have a, an acquaintance who was like universe flex for me. And I really like that because I think mm. it's nice, you know? And so I do really small stuff just to kind of test the waters of like, are we actually doing this? And I mean, the <laughs> truth is like, I've devoted myself to this for five years, hitting it really hard to be like, I'm going to reprogram. I'm going to create the life that I want and I'm going to do this deeper processing. And it's fucking hard to really just like throw yourself at it and be like, nope, unwavering faith. And a lot's happened. that has been really beautiful, but bigger things haven't happened so much. And I'm like, well, why aren't those things happening? Is this real? Like what the fuck is going on? For example, I'm like, okay, universe flex for me. I want to see a man 
in a bright orange Caltrans or like a worker man shirt, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I just forgot about it completely. And then we were driving down the road the other day and there were all these dudes cutting trees wearing these bright orange shirts. And I was like, oh my God. Or I asked the area that I'm in right now where I grew up has a lot of rattlesnakes. And I was like, I want to see a huge rattlesnake. And I didn't see one. And it's been like a week. And I'm like, we're about to leave. Like, what the hell? And then the other day, my friend that we're staying with was watching this most dangerous animal show or something silly like that. And there's this huge rattlesnake on the TV. (laughs) And I was like, okay, we're doing this. And it comes in these ways that we least expect. Like, you couldn't have predicted that you'd go to this wedding and then meet this person. Yeah, like we weren't going to go too. Exactly. That's that's like so weird. I love that you said that because often that I find it's the shit that I feel like kind of resistance to doing or that puts me out of my comfort zone or I'm like, I don't really know if I want to do that. That ends up surprising me the most where I'm like, that was so fun. I met this person, this thing happened. And like, obviously, you know, boundaries, like if you're really feeling like I'm not into it, I'm not in a place where I want to go. That's great. But like, I find that I'm so surprised sometimes when that happens where I'm like, holy shit, that was fucking awesome. Look at what happened. Look at these connections I made or look at this cool thing I found. And so it's nice to be surprised. It takes a lot to get there. You know, having faith is one thing, but doing the work or processing of working through your stuff so that you can co-create in a clear way with the universe is a whole other thing. And the truth is like people are walking around programmed based on, you know, zero to seven, we're sponges. And so that is how people's lives are dictated. And so whatever programming their parents had, right? Like we talk about like breaking generational cycles and this sort of thing, like until you're aware of it, you have no idea what's going on. And so it's just interesting talking to people who like aren't, and I respect where everybody's at in their journey, but who aren't aware of this kind of stuff. And often they complain playing a lot. They're unhappy. They are depressed. They have anxiety. They're on medication. And these things are all fine. It's just part of their journey and where they're at. And like, there's so much more going on. That's beautiful. And actually Gabby Bernstein talks about this. And I loved it because she said so many people are walking through life with their hands over their eyes, screaming that they're afraid of the dark. And really they just need to take their hands away. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting because back to the victim thing, like people play the victim and don't realize that you're really the one holding the power. And my belief system is that like, I'm God incarnate. I don't believe there's like some man in the sky. And I think that I'm here to do, you know, quote unquote, God's work and express God through me or source energy or whatever you want to call it. And that gives us a lot of power that we're not taught or empowered to know that we have or step Mm -hmm. into. And the result of that is we create lives that either really light us up because we're willing to do the deeper, harder stuff. And I think back to what you said around, like, you've chosen this path of doing really hard shit. And that took you to exactly where you are now. And it's really beautiful. And that was what you were supposed to do. The alternative to that is like, maybe you could have taken the easy road, but like, would you have become so interesting and deep and like into all of these things that you're into if you hadn't been like, I'm going to make this really hard for the first, you know. 20 years of my life, mm-hmm. which is something that I definitely resonate with too. But that was also like your soul's purpose and what you came here to do and live out. So it worked out perfectly. But ultimately, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think we always have a choice and we're creating our reality and it's up to you to decide if you're willing to embrace that and step fully into it and take on what it means to really do that or be okay kind of just floating down the path of life. Yeah. And you're right about the polarity. Like we live in a polarity planet at the very least, maybe a polarity solar system. I really don't know. This is something that I've been like having. It's a longstanding sort of debate. Like, is it the whole universe that's polarity? Is it the whole enchilada or is it just this planet? But I do think you're right. There's something about like, if you want to be giving, you almost have to experience what it's like to be really selfish or like to have somebody take something from you, the opposite of what it would feel like to to have that generosity of spirit. For instance, in my life, I moved around a lot. So I was always the new girl. I always had to like struggle to figure out how to fit in. And now because of that, I am like radically inclusive. I never want, even if somebody's being a dick. I will still be like, I don't want you to be left out though. It cultivated deeper empathy in me. So I do think that 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 is one way to learn on this planet is to like go to the other extreme and sort of play around with that and usually suffer and then come out of it and be like, oh, look at this character that I've built that has a little bit more depth maybe in some cases, not always. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, 
I'm biased because I'm a Scorpio and I like to do things really deep and really wide. Right. So I'm like, let's fucking get after it. Like, yes. do this. I love and Scorpios. I you guys are great. <laughs> uh, we are great. What's, what's your zodiac sign? Your I'm triad? a Capricorn. Oh, cool. Okay. Capricorn. And I'm married to a Scorpio and I just think you guys get such a bad rep, but you guys are the best. You really are. I think we're the best too. Yes, but continue. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, I've always been like, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's really go and figure out what's going on here. And I know that not everybody's like that, but stay in your comfort zone and just kind of like me or like go explore and see what's going on out in the world. And as a result, become a really interesting person and talk to really interesting people and have these really meaningful life experiences, you know, because that's ultimately what I think we came here to do is yes, live out karmas, work through our shit and just have a good time and experience the world. I mean, there's so much beauty to see in people and animals in the natural world. I think when we or people get stuck and kind of afraid to take those next steps or afraid to look at those deeper, more mm, tricky sometimes places and parts of themselves, it keeps you small. And what the world really needs, right, is people who are doing their work to then take whatever healing they receive, bring that out into the world and show other people how to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's so important. And so to just not be afraid of anything. And even when I have clients and I do card readings for people, there are trickier card energies that come up. And I'm like, you know, yeah, this is this is a tougher aspect. And it's a really beautiful opportunity. Because on the other side of it is something that you didn't know was there and that you're going to really probably enjoy once you've worked through it. And that's really important to remember, I think. Yeah, let's talk about the cards. I actually was with some of my coworkers today and they were like, so who are you interviewing today? And I was like, she does cycle of the cards. And everyone was like, what is that? And I was like, honestly, I do not know. And I really would love to know how you got into it and what it is. Yeah. Okay. So cycles of the cards has been known by many different names. So it's also cardology, cardomancy, and it's a system of divination with playing cards. Cycles of the cards specifically is a channeled system of divination based on numerology, symbolism, sacred geometry, and patterns in nature. And essentially what happened just to give you how I came to the cards is earlier I had talked about that experience where I went to the desert and met my friends for the first time synchronistically. Mm -hmm. One of those same friends about eight months ago, I was kind of like, again, in this place in life where I was like, I'm ready to make a transition. I'm ready for something new. Like maybe I'll make mushroom chocolates or maybe I'll do this or that. I've been an esthetician for 16 years, specializing in Brazilian waxing. Oh, So I was like, yeah. So I was like, you know, I think I'm done with this and it's been really beautiful. And I mean, the truth is like, have you ever had a Brazilian wax? No. Um, The essence of Brazilian waxing is like when you walk in and take your pants off and show your asshole to a stranger, that person (laughs) better be really good at holding space and making you feel comfortable. Yes. And so I think I was in this place where I was like, how can I take this really powerful kind of space holding that I've been doing for people and turn it into something meaningful where I don't have to physically show up? Because that was something that was really important to me was I was done using my body. I think for 16 years, it was really great. And it's really physically demanding. So I'm like, I'm ready for something new. So I wake up to a text message that same morning from this friend saying, Hey, I had a dream last night that the guide said that you need to learn how to read cards. I have a mystery school and I'd like to ask you if it's something that you're interested in doing. I'm about to launch it and just bringing it to your attention. And I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. And so I did it. And I was just like immediately drawn in, you know, I've dabbled with tarot, I've dabbled with astrology, all of these other things. But the thing about the cards specifically is this idea that it fits really nicely with the plant spirit medicine because it's an energetic communication with nature. The cards and how they work is showing you your unique strengths and weaknesses, showing you shadow aspects, places that you can grow, but essentially it's an energetic blueprint and it's like a matrix code that can when you look at it, it's kind of like, are you living your life's path? So what happens when you're born based on the solar energy of the day, the sun comes down and connects to your consciousness and it creates a mathematical sequence that is your life spread. And so that would be kind of similar to like your astrology chart. You can take this sequence as far in or as far out as you want to. And you can look at seven year spreads. You can look at your entire year. You can look at a month, day, minute, 
second. I mean, it just goes as far in or out as you want to, but it's these kind of energetic codes that exist within your soul. Your birth card is kind of like your heavy hitter. It'd be similar to like your primal triad in astrology, where it's basically the energy that your soul came to embody the lessons you came to learn in this lifetime. And then there are 13 positions that sit underneath that, that are kind of the uplifting energies that help you on your journey into the embodiment of your birth card. That's one aspect of it. I mean, it's so complex, but that's like in readings that I do with people, we go over the first time, like what's in your life spread? What are the foundational energies that you're working with? Where are you kind of like out of alignment? And then there's also your year spread. And so what happens is every 52 days, seven times a year, you move into a new energetic cycle. And that is also helping you to ultimately step into your birth card. And it's varied lessons, all different sorts of things that are going on in there. But that's kind of like what I choose to focus on when I do my readings for the first time. And then after that, you can use the cards as a system of divination or an oracle. And so similar to something like tarot. Now, the interesting thing, and I think kind of like which came first, the chicken or the egg, is which came first, the playing cards or tarot, because they're very similar, but they're also very different. It's a very old form of divination, but the mystics thousands of years ago were using these sorts of systems. And then the Roman Catholic Church, the Inquisition started to come around, and basically they took this knowledge and hid it in a deck of playing cards, which to me is absolutely fascinating because we see playing cards everywhere. It's such a common symbol in our culture. And little do we know there's this beautiful system of energetic divination that wants to give us tools and downloads and guidance through life. That's kind of the abridged what cycles of the cards is. It's like a mixture of astrology and tarot and also very different because it's mathematically based. And to me, that felt easier, more tangible, easier to kind of take in than something yeah. like tarot always just felt like it was so far out for me. Like I never really got it. And this, because it follows systems in nature is so easy to understand. Do you have to get your birth chart to be able to do your first reading or how do you mean your astrological birth chart? Yeah. You, have, you don't have to. So where do no. How do you know what your numbers are and stuff? Like, what is it connected to? It's really cool, actually. Yes, we need to know your date of birth and the time you were born. And it doesn't have to be the exact time because like I said, it depends on the solar energy of the day. So it could be like, I was born at 3 a.m. or I was born at 4 in the afternoon. So those are the things that you need to know. And then basically... Now we have computers, so I could just plug that into a system, but it used to be done by hand. So there's something called the perfect spread, and it basically starts with an ace of hearts, and it works its way perfectly, ace, two, three, four, five, all the way through all of the suits. It goes ace, clubs, diamonds, and spades. The spades rule the psyche, the ego, the mysteries of life, and health. And so they're seen as kind of like trickier or harder aspects to move through, which is why they're at the bottom of the perfect spread. Mm -hmm. And so that perfect spread with all of those cards, the 52 cards is essentially source energy. It's what you are before you came into the earth side. Now, what happens is there's something called a grand solar spread. And so it's that perfect spread that is then taken and it's based off of the three months of the four seasons of each year. And so you quadrate or you take the cards and you pull them in sequences of three in four piles and then add them back up together and you lay them out. It's really interesting and it's super complex. When someone is born, you go, okay, well, what day were you born on? You find whatever their birth card is in the spread and then you count 13 from there to get the rest of their life spread. Oh, and that's what you mean by the mathematical component. Got it. So essentially you need to have that like initial card and then that's why it's hidden message in the cards because they're created in a way that's like, oh, here, you just need your starting point. And then they all make sense mathematically. Exactly. I don't know if that made sense at all, but it may, it makes sense in my head now. <laughs> Cause I was like, what do you start with? Right? Like that was what was tripping me up. But I guess as long as you're doing, well, there's the shorthand and the longhand, right? Right. So, I mean, the truth is it's so fucking complex. I'm still unpacking all of the math side of it. And it's kind of hilarious to me because my whole life I was like, I'm bad at math. Like people <laughs> do. And now I'm like, this is so interesting. So I am grateful for the computer system because I just plug it in and it happens in like two seconds, really. But it also can be done by hand, which is really nice too. 
it's been a really cool way of connecting to myself and understanding more about myself. And often I find when I work with clients, they're like, oh my God, I feel so seen or I feel so empowered. Or like now I have the tools that I need to make these decisions in life. And I think any kind of reading will give you that kind of experience, but it's just been really cool for me because I've had tarot readings and astrology and I always left kind of feeling like, yeah, that was cool, but it wasn't like it. Mm-hmm. And there's, we have access to so much again, back to that idea of we're constantly inundated with things. And so cycles of the cards is like another thing. And I think it's so fresh and new and it was so hidden, which is one of my favorite things about it, that people are like, what the fuck is cycles of the cards? We're talking about the math that created the universe. If you look at it in that kind of form. And to me, that's really fascinating because it's just what we're all made up of. Yeah. Math is so, I don't think people think that math is super woo. It's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Like the way that you were talking about like cycles of nature and all the different mathematical components in nature that I really don't understand, but that the people have told me over the years, it's just, there is a whole system that the universe operates in. And for whatever reason, it's numeric, it's numbers. I think that when people have like numerology readings and things like that, and they walk away and they're like, you said, they're like, oh, I feel so seen. It's because there's something to the more mathematical divinations for some reason. It seems like it can get a little more accurate maybe. And I'm not saying across the board, obviously there are people who have a tremendous gifts with tarot cards and runes and pendulums. And yes. but in my experience, the average person usually has more of a wow, like an aha moment with the numerology or even astrology. There's mathematical components to like doing your full fucking birth chart too. Absolutely. And and people don't generally do their whole birth chart because it's long and arduous and you have to have books to like read every, like my moon is in this and this and that. But when you do, it's, you really are like, dang, how to know that. And it's kind of like, you just don't expect it. I don't think. 100%. I think what I love about the cards is that because it is math, it makes it a little more real for people. And there is this aspect. And it's interesting that you say that too, around like unpacking your natal chart in astrology, because in cycles of the cards, like the foundation, the first session that we do, it is kind of like, there's a lot there and we are unpacking a lot. So it can be like a lot going on, a lot being thrown at you. But once you understand the foundation, you can come back around and be like, oh, you know, I met this person and I'm really interested in them, but I'm not sure if they're right for me. And we could be like, okay, where are you at in your 52 day cycles? Is this a good time for you to be focused on relationships? And what do the guides and the cards have to say about it? And that is when you would pull cards like in real time. Just the other day, I was doing a reading for a friend where I didn't even look at their their life spread or their year spread. And I was like, let's just pull cards and have fun and see what comes up. And it's so fascinating to see what the cards say and like how they're communicating through me to these other people. I'll say stuff and I'm like, does that make any sense to you? Because it doesn't make any sense to me. And they're like, that's so spot on. I totally get it now. I think a lot of people, myself included, I'm a skeptic. I'm like, "Mm, what is that? Like, I don't know. Is that? And especially when it comes to psychics and intuitive people and that kind of stuff, I'm always sort of like, I don't know, you know? And so for me, this system is very like, it's right there. Like you can't argue with it. It's Mm -hmm. just the math of you. Like I'm a four of diamonds birth card. And so Mm -hmm. that's like all fours are very stable energy, stable, solid. The diamond suit has to do with the earth realms, three-dimensional things, material resources, finances, and money, self-worth, anything that we value. And so I've recently gotten really into money and finance, which if you haven't, people, you should anyway, but, (laughs) but it's something that is authentic to me. Like that's what I came here to do. And for a while I was like, God, is this like superficial? And it's like, no, this is part of your code. This is what your soul came to master in this lifetime on the earth realm. Mm -hmm. The money I make on earth isn't necessarily going to carry over to the different dimensions that I'm working in or whatever, but it's just really empowering. And it gives a lot of permission, I think, for people to recognize that they are in alignment with what they came here to do or not. You know, there are people where they're like, wow, I have a lot of work to do. And that's fine too. Yeah. Well, that's part one of this two-part episode with Taylor Van Endy. And stay tuned for the next one because let me tell you, 
we're going to continue talking about cycles of the cards, but then we're going to go down a very, very weird rabbit hole. And it is worth it. And actually, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you anything. I I was going to give you a clue, but you just have to listen. I have been thinking about what she says in part two since we had this conversation. I cannot stop thinking about it, especially because of what just came out on Netflix. So that's all I'm going to say. That's my tiny clue. I still gave you a clue. You can book a session with Taylor and or sign up for her newsletter at Linktree slash Maker and Mystic. And for those of you who aren't used to the Linktree link, it'll always be in the show notes, of course, but it's L-I-N-K-T-R. There's a dot and then E-E slash Maker and Mystic. You can also follow Taylor on Instagram. Her handle is Maker and Mystic. I love talking with Taylor. She is a really, really easy person to talk to. And as you've heard, she was just waxing people's buttholes for 16 years. So that is a person who's definitely going to make you feel comfortable. And I love that she's figured out how to translate that skill to the woo. All right, y'all. You have a great week. Okay. Bye. Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 